You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, and we are proud to be partnered with Interstate Batteries. If you haven't visited your local Interstate Battery retail store to talk with a specialist about all your battery needs, you need to stop in. They have everything from batteries for your trail cameras, batteries for your rangefinders, batteries for your trucks, and everything in between. Uh, they have a battery for it. You can also go to find out more about the company and more about the batteries that they offer to interstatebatteries.com. This is a great company, a trustworthy company that has been around for several, 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 several years. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back on a Friday edition. Man, I haven't been putting out very many Friday editions uh, lately, but we got a Friday edition of the Nine Finger Chronicles. Hopefully everyone, whenever they listen to this, whether it's in the morning or or maybe later in the day, midday, you, you get to go out and experience the woods this weekend get behind the bow a little bit and uh, go out and do some hunting because man, it's, although it's not the prime time yet, we're getting to prime time and every day from this point on, the hunting just keeps getting better and better and better and better. And uh, next thing you know, November is going to be here and then we're going to be creaming our jeans (laughs) all over the place, uh, wanting to get out and, uh, you know, start hunting hard. So, uh, and we got a really cool episode today. I'm joined by a fellow Iowan, Eric uh, Eric Shipley, and uh, he's going to kind of talk to us about how when he was young, he picked up a bow and he started shooting it. Uh, I think he even went out uh, bow hunting a couple of times. Uh, he, he went, he moved uh, out of state, um, you know didn't really hunt out there moved back to Iowa for a hand you know moved back to Iowa and even then he didn't even hunt and then something happened about four or five years ago and it was just like this trigger went off in him and 
uh, he's he got interested in bow hunting again and this episode is about those first handful of years uh getting reintroduced to bow hunting and his success that he found last year uh during the 2018 archery season and uh, i can remember that he sent me a message and i could just tell how jacked he was when he connected on this uh this buck uh, his, i guess it would be his first archery buck and uh this is that story so today uh who's our commercial buy lone wolf tree stands right and it's it's kind of funny these lone wolf tree stands they sit in my garage almost all year round until the the bow hunting season starts and i just love how awesome their uh you know how awesome their tree their tree stands are from the pure fact of ease of setting it up right so i went i've only been on one hunt this year in iowa and i was going out to try to shoot a doe so i went to this little crevice um in between a couple fields and uh it's typically where these does pop out after they get up from their bed they walk along this uh this marsh and then they pop out uh onto this ag field and that's where they go so i i went down the egg uh, down the fence road just a little bit and long story short nothing showed up but what was cool was that using these tree stands is like riding a bike you don't forget how to set them up and it's just so easy to get up in a tree and judge your you know judge your height you can like with four sticks and a stand i can get to 20 plus feet if i really wanted to uh this particular hunt i only decided to use three sticks and uh hunt a little bit lower to the ground that way i didn't you know i wasn't uh having to shoot through overhanging branches so just the the ability to be flexible and make really any tree work is one of the biggest things that I like about lone wolf tree stands, lone wolf portable tree stands. Uh, so here's what the offer is, right? Use the discount code 9FC50. Go to go to uh, their website. Go to the lone wolf uh, portable tree stands website and. Uh, check out all you know everything that they have to offer whether it's a climber whether it's an alpha whether it's a set of sticks whether whether it's the assault if you spend two hundred dollars or over you're going to get a discount of fifty dollars off your purchase by entering the discount code 9fc50 so uh hey that's like uh that's like 20 percent off uh, of a tree stand so that's a really good deal take advantage of it and uh, start using a lone wolf, man. They're uh, they're a badass tree stand. So, we've done the commercial. I've uh, done the intro. What else do I need to do? Make sure you're subscribing. Make sure you're following on uh, Instagram and Facebook on the Nine Finger Chronicles and the Sportsman's Nation. And other than that, uh, get out there and start hunting. Let's get into uh, today's podcast with Eric Shepley. All right, I'm on the phone right now with Mr. Eric Shepley. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you, Dan? Oh, can't complain. I am. Uh, I'm getting excited because I'm recording this podcast on a Friday, and I leave early tomorrow morning for my South Dakota mule deer hunt. So I'm getting jacked about that. I'm getting jacked up about this upcoming season in the Iowa whitetail woods. 
So uh, I'm o- overall, I'm pretty excited about uh, being a bow hunter this time of year. Same here. Yeah, this uh, this recent cold front we've had where we're at uh, is uh, really getting the juices flowing. Um, unfortunately, I don't have any cameras out, but uh, it didn't prove to help me last year, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, some great surprises this season as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we live in Iowa, right? So uh, a surprise can come through your property just about any time. Exactly. So before we get into the meat and potatoes, uh, we found out you live in Iowa, but what do you do for a living? I'm a landscape architect, so I uh, make what engineers do look pretty, uh, working on land development projects and um, have an ec- ecology background with the emphasis in wildlife too. So the uh, the whitetail woods are near and dear to my my uh, passions outside of work as well as what I do day to day. Cool, cool, cool. So uh, are you are you behind a desk most days or are you outside most days? For the majority, I'm behind the desk, but I do uh, try to find those spots where I can make a reason to be outside. Right, right. I got you. Except for the guys who are actually doing the work. Uh, when they see a guy who's typically behind a desk come to the job site, it's like, oh, oh great, here we go. Yep, yep, the eyes start rolling. Uh, <laughs> they they kind of keep their heads down, look the other way, and it's like, come on, let's just get us, let's just get through this. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's funny. I, I remember uh, one summer, I was uh, me and another guy. We were in college, and all we did was jackhammer out old concrete replace it and then have to break the rebar out of concrete that we had just torn up so needless needless to say it sucked but there would be a guy from the office come out every once in a while and the the actual crew that we worked on the manager there the the foreman or whatever you whatever you want to call it was just like oh shit here we go this guy's going to tell us something we already know. Like <laughs> it was, it was funny. We always got a yeah. good kick out of it. Yeah, it, it never fails that uh, that us dust jockeys uh, tend to come out and, and, and think we ought to tell the field guys <laughs> one thing or another. When the field guys look at the desk guys and say, "You're not here. You don't know." Right. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, I, I've I've fortunately been on the on the install side of things, so I try to uh, carry my desk around with a. Uh, a grain of salt and understand what it was like to be in the trenches. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause uh, for the most part, we probably all started there at, at some, you know, at some point in our life, whether it was, you know, breaking concrete or I don't know, my first job I ever had was, uh, detasseling soybeans. So oh, or, uh, not detasseling soybeans, but, um, uh, walking detasseling corn. Yeah. Detasseling corn and walking soybeans and picking weeds out of my grandpa's field. So, Oh yeah, that's that's a summer summer job. Most of us Midwest boys and girls. I had some girls on the detasseling crew I was on. um, uh, Kind of cut our teeth on. Right, right. And you want to talk about uh, wanting to get an education and wanting to not ever have to do that those those kind of jobs. It's detasseling in the most humid part of the summer, and you got corn rash, and you're wearing long sleeve pants, and it's just hot as balls at like seven in the morning, and you know you're just gonna you're gonna get crushed out there. So yeah, yeah. It, it makes you want to stay in about school. Twenty pounds more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The boots the boots get uh, caked with the mud, and 
And it's even better when your foreman comes back through and says, Hey, you know, that field we just did yesterday, we got to go back. Oh yeah. We got to do it again. We got it. And this time, yeah. and this time, uh, some of you guys are going to be walking it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's even better. Well, this isn't a farming podcast. Uh, we're going to, we're going to talk <laughs> about some deer hunting and for the most part, you are relatively new to, uh, bow hunting. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Okay. So, I mean, are you relatively new to hunting in general or have you been hunting for a while? Um, sporadically. Um, I've, you know, early on I did a, a, a little bit of bird hunting with my dad. Um, he grew up, um, hunting squirrels and, and, uh, pheasants with his, his father and his brothers. Um, but growing up, I didn't have a lot of that. I went with my dad and a, and a college buddy of his on a couple pheasant hunts and, um, oddly enough, that's probably when I first got my encounter with a big buck. The uh, bird dog was training and got pulled off of a off the covey of birds with a buck and chased the buck. And I thought that's what I want to go after. And uh, so that was probably when I was you know ten, twelve years ago. So a few decades later, um, I uh, uh, picked up back into uh, shooting a bow. Um, didn't know anything about it, picked up my first bow, uh, secondhand off a guy I worked with, um, didn't realize what I needed to do for draw length, weight, adjustments, sighting, anything. I just got a bow to shoot. Um, was in in, in a position where I, I, oddly enough, I lived in Colorado at the time and I didn't even take the advantage of hunting Colorado when I lived there as a resident, um, missed out on all the opportunities to, to to do what you had just done recently with your, your elk hunt and, um, came back to Iowa where I grew up, um, learned some more after listening to some podcasts, um, such as yourself and and some other folks and, and realized I need a different bow. This is not working. I was getting the forearm slap, the draw length was too long. The arrows weren't the right spine. Um, so got some education, um, got the right kind of bow for my draw lengths. Um, set up the arrows for the right spine and started realizing I could actually hit the target where I was aiming consistently and not be frustrated with that. Right. So uh, over the last uh, couple of years have been uh, um, honing that skill. Um, as many hunters experienced um, my first, first bow hunt ever um, shot at a doe, um, unfortunately shot low, um, got shot her and, tracked her as best I could, never found her. Right. Um, so and, uh, let me, let so me that, back, that, let me back yeah. up just a little bit and, and ask yeah. you, why did you decide, you know, you know, how many years ago was it when you, when you got that bow off a coworker? Uh, it was probably almost 15 years now. Okay. So 15 years ago, but then you, you put it away for a while, right? Right. Right. So how many years did you sit idle and, kind of not hunt it was probably close to almost 10 years okay um that that i was uh not doing anything with it okay so we're at that at that point that that decade where you were not uh bow hunting were you doing other forms of hunting like shotgun or or pheasant hunting still no i wasn't um kindly totally moved away from that. It, it, uh, life happens. Um, as we all know, um, moved from Colorado, lived in Arizona for a, a short while in the Phoenix area. 
um, and just did not visualize any opportunities there for it. Um, and, uh, it sat in my garage the entire time. Um, I, I, I didn't have any of the guns. They were all back here with my, um, uh, with my father. So I didn't have any guns. I did shoot, um, recreationally with some friends that had different, different firearms and that. Um, but again, when I lived in Arizona, didn't take the opportunity to, um, hit up any of them. I didn't, none of them that I knew of were hunters at all. I thought they were all just target shooters. So, um, that didn't, uh, didn't come across my, didn't click my until I, yeah, didn't click to you even to ask the question actually. Gotcha. Um, and, and so, um, that's, yeah, it just kind of went idle. Gotcha. So you, so then for 10 years, you kind of were not a hunter. You didn't hunt. You eventually you moved back to Iowa Right. And that was, was yep. that about the time? So like, what was that four or five years ago? Uh, actually we've been back here 10 years. Okay. 10 um, years. So, yep. Okay. So halfway through that whole Western experience that you, you go, you move back to Iowa and it, it wasn't until four or five years ago then that you picked up the bow, uh, and said, Hey, I want to give this a shot. What, what was the reason why? you said to yourself, Hey man, I want to try this bow hunting thing again. You know, I think, um, coming back here and having the visuals of seeing the deer locally again, um, my parents, um, live outside of town a little bit. Um, and there's always deer that come through their backyard, even in town where I live, um, there's deer coming around here. And, and that kind of spurred that back up, just being able to see them. And also, um, by that time, I was starting to get the um, podcast and, and some of the other hunting um, community was building in, in the social media realms and becoming more aware. And I thought, hey, you know, everybody talks about Iowa. I live here now. I'm a resident. Um, I've got some friend that has, you know, some, some awesome property that, um, he, he allows me to hunt on and I cannot afford not to take advantage of this when, when people pay, um, a lot to right. try and get here to do what I can do virtually in my backyard. Right. Okay. So, um, so that was kind of the, the, you saw the deer started getting fired up about it. said, Hey man, I want to. I want to dust, you know, I want to dust the bow hunting, uh, you know, take bow hunting off the shelf and, and dust it off a bit. Were you at that point, were you still using your, uh, old bow that was too long for you with, with the crappy arrows or have, did you kind of say, I, I need to just jump into it and purchase all this new equipment? No, I, I, I still was relatively naive. I still had that old bow, um, was was shooting shooting that attempting to make adjustments as best i could um on my own um not having a, a family relative or or even you know close best friends that that were you know really into bow hunting um to to guide me into that and um after that exposure to some of the the, the social media podcasts and stuff understanding the mechanics of bow hunting um come to realize that i need to I need to dial this down a little bit better in order to be the kind of hunter that I want to be and need to be to respect the animal while I'm out there and, and be ethical in my shots. Um, otherwise it's, it's not, it's not going to work out and it's not going to be something that's enjoyable 
um, I need to do it right. And so that's what flipped the switch. Then I looked at getting a different bow, um, did that, got the arrows corrected, um, worked on shot process, um, shot cycle, um, all of those types of things. And, and I'm now confident in, in my abilities. Gotcha. So then, uh, did you go to a local bow shop or did you go online or, uh, where did you get all this equipment from? And did you have, like, who did you have help set it up? I went to a, I went to first a, a local bow shop to, um, understand what my draw length was, what I needed. Um, and, and they, um, did a great job walking me through the process, measuring me out, telling me what I needed. Um, looked at trading in my bow. There's, you know, a couple places that we have, um, uh, went into, I actually ended up trading it into shields for, um, uh, a bow that was available to me in, in the price range I had that came basically ready to hunt and, uh, had them set it up for my draw length. Um, uh, the draw weight was, um, it's up to 60 pounds. And so I cranked it all the way up. Um, you know, I wanted something a little bit heavier. I've got a short draw length at 26 inches. So I think the weight helps me out trying to get a little more speed and, and, and that with it, with how short I am on the, on the length and, uh, got some arrows and, um, sighted in at 20, uh, inside the store and, uh, have, uh, carried on into, into 20 and 30 yards, um, on the range I'm working at. Um, approaching 40, fortunately where I'm at, most of my shots are all within that, um, 30 yard bubble. So, right. um, I don't need to try and reach out and, and hit something, um, longer than that, unless I stretch my legs and, and try and get back out West, which is a, a, a bucket list item for me. Yeah, absolutely. So you got a bow, you got some new equipment, you got it, uh, you started getting it sighted in. Now you, you already had a friend uh, a local friend that allowed you to hunt his property. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. Okay. A family friend since growing up. All right. So, so now you have a bow and, uh, you have the property. What, what did you do from there? Did you just go out and hunt or did you try to do any type of scouting or ask questions about, you know, to the landowner? Hey, you know, where, where are the deer? Yeah, basically, um, from, from my education and background in, in wildlife ecology, um, have a working knowledge, if you will, of, um, kind of the habits of deer in that, but then also talking to him to see, okay, where do you see them? And, and really the first year, um, I was out there, helped set up a couple stands, um, his permission on where we wanted to be and, and just kind of using my education and, and background to say, okay, here's pinch points. These are what people are talking about on, you know, other successful people that I'm following. Um, here's a field edge. Here's, you know, transition areas. Let's look at those. And, and it became apparent. I'm starting to see the scrapes. I'm seeing the rubs. I can see the directions. And we did at that time have a couple of cameras that I could set up and, and start pulling things from, and, and we could see where they're at and, and move along there. Um, so that education process happened probably that first full year. Um, the vast majority of everything was, um, you know, educational for me to understand where they're at, where they're moving, how they're coming from, paying attention to wind patterns. Um, I got a crash course in, uh, in deer hunting um, that first year. Right. So uh, that first year kind of, uh, you know, I won't, I'm not going to say a shit show, but kind of like a, uh, <laughs> you know, like, 
just you didn't really have a clue what you're doing. You were learning from all the experiences that you had. D- did you walk away from that first bow season with any aha moments or realize some things that, hey, I need to stop doing this and if I want to get close to, closer to a deer? You know, uh, fortunately for me, um, and, and whether it was just uh, dumb luck or not realizing that all the knowledge I gained from listening to the people and my education background and, and understanding wildlife and, and putting those things into practice, things worked like they should have. I had deer close to me, um, mucked up my shots because um, I wasn't there. A um, little bit of fever um, set in. The deers got in, you know, uh, within 10, 15 yards. And, um, you know, I, I hit a branch the size of my pinky on one of them, you know, deflecting my arrow. I, I didn't maintain my, my, you know, my shooting lane as well as I should have, um, and, and deflected that. So a couple of those things, um, yes, were aha moments. Um, but fortunately the deer were there, um, and, uh, was able to recognize that, Hey, I'm starting to do some things right They're around. Um, but I also realize that there's a lot of things that are out of my control. Um, it's a real narrow area. Uh, a farmer rotates his crops, um, on one side, the adjacent owners, um, big timberland, they push shotgun, uh, every season and, and blow out deer. Uh, you never know who's hunting that area. Um, so all those outside factors are still outside of your control. Right. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, I'm still learning how to, how to pattern things, um, to work for my advantage, um, in those situations when you have those variables you can't control. Right. So, uh, how big is this farm that you got access to? How many acres roughly? Uh, I believe, um, the primary that we have, it's a real long, narrow strip. It's probably about, uh, 10 acres, but from it adjoins a railroad bed and then a timber on the other side. And it's only about a hundred yards across, but it's almost a full mile long. Um, and most of that now, when I originally started hunting, it was in crop rotation. It had since got changed over to a uh, full CRP, um, probably three years ago. And so the year I shot my buck, we're getting up to here. Um, the CRP native grasses, tall grass prairie is all five, six feet and established now. So it even changed the dynamic of the farm I was on. All right. It, for the better, I take it. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about, okay. That So we talked about year one. Let's talk about year two and three and, and okay. what, what that brought you uh, from an education standpoint. Uh, did you have any aha moments? Did you, were you learning about access routes and where to put your tree stands and you know what the deer were doing certain times a year? Yeah, that's, that's when I started dialing on more of the habits of the deer that were there. Um, like I said, I fortunately had a few cameras that I was able to get placed and looked at the, the time of day they were at, the routes they were coming, which way they're going at that time of day, what the weather was there. Um, started to see the age class of some of the deer coming through. Um, and so that started to kind of dial in a, a better window of opportunity of when to, um, expect those deer to be around. Um, there are still moments that, you know, we, we all go out, we, we think we know what's going to happen 
we go sit in a stand and there's absolutely nothing walked by in that entire, you know, two, three, four hours at least that you, you might be sitting there. Um, I, for myself, am one that am extremely um, comfortable sitting for long periods of time. Um, uh, I think um, my second year, um, I was not quite so much. I, I would see deer uh, are in the far off uh, distance. And I thought, I want to go get them because they're out there. They're not coming here. And I think that's where I learned some of those things about access route and cover, or at least covering yourself when you're having access. Um, exposed myself too often and, and the deer were um, aware of that too many eyes on the field and um, it, it blew them out before I was even close um, so that became a, became apparent of the the need for being aware of access and uh, in scent control with uh, wind patterns gotcha so what were your goals those first couple of years I mean, was it hey I want to go out and shoot a big buck or was it I just want to go out and shoot a deer it was go out, be close, get an opportunity. Um, I, I had no expectations of um, how big the deer were going to be. Um, I didn't know what was there, um, wasn't sure what was around. And so take the opportunity that's afforded to me, and, and that's where I had the, uh, the missed shot on the first doe um, that I had. And that was kind of the first real gut check on man you really need to do it right and uh and so that's you know i worked more on my shot placements um worked more on uh, understanding the angles from a tree um obviously it's a lot different than practicing in the backyard from the ground um uh, and those types of things and so um yeah first first year second year goals were just to get close um to 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 prove to yourself that you can be in a position to have the opportunity yeah okay so so let's talk about this uh this year now all right you did you i guess did you end up shooting a doe or another deer before this buck that you ended up shooting i did and and that was another learning lesson um so uh, year three um we decided to add a, a ground blind to our um to our setups out there and uh, set up in the corner um, along a travel corridor. Um, mode path was there. Um, I happened to take my youngest daughter with me. Um, she was uh, probably between seven and eight years old at the time and uh, super excited, super jazzed to be in the chair next to me. Um, it was kind of a mid morning, so she was a little sleepy. I heard something come up from behind us. And uh, on the left-hand side, she's also sitting on my left in, in a little fold-up camp chair. Um, the unfortunate part about it, though, is she's short enough she couldn't see out of the windows at the blind in that chair. But I told her, I said, there's a deer right there. Sit still. I had to place my shot virtually across her lap out the window to the left at a, at a young buck um, that was within 20 yards. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you cannot shoot low because she's sitting there. Hit this deer high in the shoulder um, forward. Uh, fortunately for the deer, it was not a lethal shot. He took off like a rocket through this CRP. Um, no blood trail, um, no sighting of the arrow after that fact. 
And uh, that was another learning curve experience of, you know, again, shot placement, aware of your surroundings, um, and, uh, and doing that. So I did have another opportunity prior to that. She got to see the deer run off and experience that, which is awesome to share. Um, and uh, so, so that was the point where um, I ended up, you know, again, learning from that experience that, uh, you know, sometimes your shots regularly aren't where you think they are. And again, there's too many variables sometimes to think about. So, yeah. um, so let me ask that, you this, that's then. Forward. how, like, okay. So now the first two deer that you ever shot, you, you didn't kill. What was yep. that like for your, I guess, for your psyche? I mean, did that screw with you or were you like, man, I got to figure something out or I just can't keep wounding this deer. You know, it, uh, it, it was really hard. Um, you wonder about, uh, you know, one, the second deer, how do you explain it to a child that you, you're attempting to, you know, harvest an animal, it doesn't work out, but you may have wounded them to the point where, you know, they're damaged or could be, you know, you know, succumb to their wounds, um, some other form or fashion. Um, so even working through that with my daughter was huge, but it was also somewhat therapeutic to, walk through the fact that we know they're tough animals. They've survived. Um, looking at information from other, uh, other sources that, you know, those non-lethal hits, um, you know, deer come back from even single lung hits deer survive sometimes. So with that understanding and kind of a renewed drive to become better, um, again, went back to focusing on my shots, shooting more often, um, becoming comfortable at those, those angles and, um, and relying more on the process than uh, an assumption that I knew what I was doing. Um, and so to get those reps in, to get that muscle memory, um, so at the moment of truth, it, uh, it didn't, uh, didn't fail me. Gotcha. So it just became, you know, if I want to be a bow hunter, I got to be an archer too. And just right. continue to um, hone your skills with uh, the bow. Exactly. Okay. All right. So, now, you know, this is two, so did you end up killing a deer before this buck? No. No, okay, so this is your very first ever deer with a bow. Kill, for, with for a bow, yeah. Okay, all right, so so let's talk about the, the summer, uh, not, let's see, it wouldn't be this summer, it would be the last summer, the summer of 2018, you know, what, yeah. what were you thinking about going into bow season? Did you do more scouting? Did you d try to get more access? Did you put up more trail cameras? You know, um, I did move the cameras around, looked at access. Um, the point I, I focused on is uh, a, a fence opening along this really long stretch of property that we have. Um, there's a good sign there, consistently set up a camera, consistently had had deer moving through that area um put more effort into scouting to, to see where the deer um were really going and, and focus in on that um fortunately um the landowner um has a kind of ongoing agreement with the adjacent property owner with the large timber that they'll allow each other to shoot across the property line um you know if it's within sight within range you're good to go. They allow um, them to walk through the, the the open field side to help pin in in when they're doing their deer pushes. Um, they let us fire across the line into the timber from that. So 
um, most of my sightings through those observation sits, the deer like to move through that timber because after the crops come out, that's their cover. Um, they've got acorns, there's water through there. Um, there's bedding other areas. So that's their travel corridors. My plan was then to utilize that going into the fall and the rut season to be able to rattle some deer in, hopefully call them in to get them to utilize that opening in the fence where I know they're using it as well as um, the timing of their movements um, and, and the rut to draw them out into that, that space where it's closer to the bedding where now this CRP is um, before where it used to be crops. Right. Okay. So with a limited amount of property to actually hunt then did you put any thought into when you were actually going to start hunting or were you going to put the pressure on the property right away or were you going to hold off and start hunting in november uh closer to to the rut um i did i did some sits early in october early season um i did to kind of gauge um how it's setting up um, certainly did the, the, uh, the safety checks on the straps of the stands to make sure they were there, um, sat in a different stand, um, more as a, an observation to, to understand where some of the deers, uh, were moving. And, um, but then certainly, um, leaned more towards some more focus on, on the red activity as well, especially the, the weather patterns. Um, that's something that I hadn't keyed in on quite so much. I was more of an opportunity. Hey, I've got, you know, four hours today. Um, why don't I go try? Um, but this, this year, um, or last fall, I should say, um, really paid attention to what the weather patterns were going to be looked ahead at the forecast and, and keyed on those factors. And then the timing of when the rut happens. Um, I, I know around here, um, those first two weeks in November tend to be pretty, pretty hot, um, for that. And, um, decided to take advantage of that. Gotcha. Okay. So you're kind of, you're kind of putting all your eggs in the basket for November. Um, did you check trail cameras at all in that time frame just to see what was moving around before, you know, before I, the rut? I, I had some, um, not, not what I had hoped. Um, there, there wasn't a lot, um, that I was utilizing from the camera standpoint. Um, in fact, they were, um, malfunctioning even, and, and so I knew I couldn't rely on that. Um, and, and was going more off of, um, weather pattern and, and natural timing of the season for the rut to, to hopefully get a, get an opportunity because right. I didn't have that, that Intel. Okay. All right. So when then, at what point did you start to hunt that property? Do you ha- do you remember the actual date? Yeah, well, this particular hunt um, happened November 9th, and uh, the reason why I honed in on that is, you know, I follow Midwest Whitetail with Bill Winky, and his favorite day of the year, he says, is typically November 7th. Um, that's kind of a golden day he's he's made mention of, and so I, I looked at local weather patterns um, and, and noticed that we had a change in the weather. Um, fortunately for me, the, my workload was light that day. Um, it was probably about noon. Um, and I thought, Hmm, all right. Weather pattern's good. I've got my work schedule kind of squared away here. Um, got a couple hours. Uh, the kids are at gymnastics this evening. Um, wife's watching over them. Uh, let me see what can happen. And so that's why I went out. Um, 
wind was right. Um, fortunately, with this um, CRP that's now been in for three years, it's it's nice and mature, so it provides some good cover. Um, as well as part of that program, they're required to maintain mowed paths around that uh, open pasture for the um, for the prairie, which makes an extremely quiet, easy access route to the stand. And um, so, like full advantage of that, of course getting through the corridors they're nice and long which um is a is an easy site corridor but fortunately there weren't any deer there so i left work about 2 30 um happened to get in the stand about three o'clock okay so you you had everything kind of ready to go uh, over the last uh several years or you know the last three years you had your access routes honed you had your um you know you had your I guess your stand locations kind of refined and during the walk in, did you happen to see any sign like any big rubs or any fresh scrapes to kind of get you excited? Not, not from this point. Um, they're, they're typically, um, our tracks, um, going in and it's usually a travel corridor, um, uh, for as part of the access route. So there aren't many, um, scrapes rubs at this point. Um, and the wind was also, in my favor, um, coming out of the, uh, the Northwest and, um, basically blowing North through this large block of timber we are adjacent to back across into the, the CRP, which can be a little bit of a challenge. Cause I do know that the, uh, the deer use that for, for bedding at times, but this time of day, um, I believe with the temperature front that they would already be up on their feet, um, moving around and had seen um, prior uh, sits um, timing wise that they were actually, you know, mobile back in the timber. Gotcha. Okay. So you just, what did you expect going into, into this hunt? I mean, were, were you, were you just happy to be out or did you have a, like a gut feeling about something? You know, initially happy to be out. Um, it, it's always good when you get the thumbs up from the, from the missus. Um, and, and she said, well, yeah, why didn't you go? Um, we're not doing anything. So, you know, why not? Um, that's probably the, the best, uh, permission you could ever get is to, uh, is to get the wife to suggest, yeah, go sit. Um, so took full advantage of that. Um, I love just being out there, seeing what's there. Um, whatever it is, whether it's a turkey or an eagle or a, um, a squirrel, um, even though those that, that time of year the squirrels sound like rotten bucks, um, and uh, but I also expected that I would see some action, um, and uh, just getting that wealth of knowledge built up over the last couple of years, understanding that the potential is there, and uh, and the time of year was right for that. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So you make it to your stand. You climb up. Um, why don't you just walk us through until, uh, until I guess the shot took place. I mean, were you seeing other deer or was he the only guy who came through? No, I had, I had seen some other deer, um, back in the timber. And, uh, um, so I I was able to get a stand by about three o'clock, let everything kind of settle down, get quiet, probably about three 30, um, saw some deer off in the distance, um, Decided to do some a rattle sequence and a grunt sequence with it. Um, again, understanding the ruts on, um, thought it would be a good time to to pull some deer out of out of a spot where I've seen them before, and um, I had done that, and um, 
the prior year, um, I, I, when, as soon as I did that, I'm, I'm, I'm already on my toes because the prior year I'd done the same thing. And by the time I got the horns on the seat of the stand, there's a deer within 10 yards of me already. So I know they come fast through there, um, especially in that, in that area. So at that point, um, I was ready, didn't see anything moving, didn't hear anything moving after I rattled and grunted. Um, however, for whatever reason, instead of maintaining my attention on the timber, I had turned around to face the prairie, tall grass prairie. And out of the corner of my eye to my left, I see movement coming along the mode path. Fortunately, there's a lot of fence row growth. I have cover from their site. The unfortunate thing is that means they're walking through my wind and they weren't walking. They were trotting. So they were cruising pretty hard. And I only saw the first buck, um, which is not the one I shot, um, coming, had enough time to get my bow, um, get my release on it. And as they come closer and I position myself to be ready for the shot, come to full draw, I realize there's two of them. The first one comes through the shooting lane at a quick pace, kind of took me by surprise. I then um, bleated to stop them. Um, the first one stopped just beyond my lane. Second one was there quartering away. Um, I knew the distance um, from being there and where they were sitting was 20 yards. Um, set my pin just behind the shoulder. Um, and from that point on, uh, I really don't remember the shot sequence other than the fact that I was at full draw. I set my pin, squeezed my back. I don't shoot a back tension. It's a trigger release, but still that same shot process to follow through. Um, this was the first year I had a lighted knock, which was fantastic. It was um, incredible to watch the arrow leave. Next thing I knew, the shot broke. The arrow was released found its mark right behind the shoulder and low the deer didn't really mule kick but almost did like a fence jump type of maneuver yeah my heart sunk though when i noticed the arrow fell straight backwards from him and 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 just laid on the ground at the point of impact and at that moment i thought it just hit the shoulder and fell off yeah. It didn't penetrate. I didn't realize that. Didn't know what was happening. And of course, at that point, buck fever starts in, go through all my mind. You know, where did you hit? Did you aim far enough? Were you too low? The angle of the shot was recording too far. Run through the entire scenario through my head and waited about half an hour to uh, get down. I find the arrow, realize the tip is broken. I only have. Um, uh, probably about the, the front six inches of the arrow is gone and there's good blood on the arrow penetration actually probably two-thirds of the shaft um back to the fletchings so i thought hey excellent and also after the shot i was able to watch him go into the crp into the the tall grass prairie he wasn't bounding wasn't running walking at a fairly stiff pace made a loop around um, about 30, 40 yards from me and about 50 yards, I saw his head just lower through the, um, through the grass, 
However, I didn't know if he was just walking through a low spot or if he crashed at that point. I couldn't hear anything. I just lost sight of him. So um, that point, I had uh, decided I'll wait a little bit. The blood's good. Um, made a couple phone calls, had a friend that uh, was willing to come and help me track him. And uh, that was helpful. Um, he had a, uh, a tracking light. Um, the, uh, the wavelength of the light aids in the blood being visible, almost creates a fluorescent glow from the blood, um, which was extremely helpful because it wasn't a pass-through shot. Um, what happened was um, shot through the body, the tip of the arrow actually got the heart. So oh, I, nice. I heart shot him and it stuck in the offside shoulder. Um, but it, it did, did penetrate and the grass though, the blood marks, which was confusing, were about five and a half feet tall up on the grass when we were tracking him. But as he was walking, the grass would go underneath his armpits and collect the blood and then it'd stand back up. I gotcha. And so we were following blood up high and, um, walking through the grass, um, doing the leapfrog thing. He had the light. I was on last blood, kept walking, kept walking. And, and I kept describing the arc he made where he was at. And, uh, I'll never forget. Um, it, it's like so many of the, of the videos that are out there, you know, the guy with the camera or, or the lights doing one thing, kind of capturing the, the, the track job, um, the guys looking at the blood, have their nose to the ground and the buddy goes, Hey, look up. And quite honestly, within five feet of me, the deer was there. I had no idea. <laughs> and, and just that elation that, uh, he's there, he's down. You made the good shot. He fell where his head went below the grass. Um, and, uh, what was just, uh, elated at that at that moment that's awesome man and you had never seen this deer before had never seen him before um i looked back at some of the previous trail uh camera pictures that i had from that same area and did not have any pictures that uh looked like him there was one that's possible but it was fuzzy enough that i still had some doubt it was the same same deer gotcha yeah so uh from the angle here it looks like a pretty good deer um do you happen to know maybe uh, what what his age class was and potentially what he scored? Um, I, I have not had him scored. Um, age class, um, I can only go by his body size. I believe he's probably three and a half, maybe four years old. Gotcha. Um, and uh, which is also a, a fantastic goal. I know that um, that area gets hunted hard, especially gun season. So uh, there's anywhere from basically yearlings to mature deer that get taken out of there. But fortunately it's, it's a large enough space that there's a lot of deer that move in and move out of there. Um, yeah. And so there's always a potential for, for those, those one-offs that uh, move in after the other ones get uh, removed from the, from the herd. So right. um, totally happy with him. Um, I know he was a big mature deer. Um, he actually broke the hook in my, in my garage when I was cleaning him. So, and dressing him out. So I had to get a new, new harness to be able to process him that's crazy all right so um what is he a 10 or is he a nine he's a nine and he's got a kicker off his brow tine okay. a, a real short not not quite 
long enough, I think, to officially score it. Gotcha. All right, cool, man. Uh, I tell you what, that's awesome uh, for a first deer period with a bow. That's a good first deer anywhere uh, for for a bow for a bow hunter. Now the question is, are you like some guys will go out and say, "Well, I don't want to shoot another deer like this. I want to step up." What are what's your thought going into this upcoming season? Because this, you've only killed one deer with a bow. Are you still kind of anything goes, or are you still are you going to hold out? You know, um, I'd like to, I'd like to think that, that I want to do my part and let some of these deer mature and, and, and see what their potential is. The reality is I know where I'm able to be. Um, a lot of times you need to take what your opportunity is. Yeah. Um, I will probably, again, with the education I've had of, of, of the exposure to the QDMA, um, AJ sequences they put out there and, and, uh, what other content's out there, um, like yours, the Sportsman Nation has been fantastic. Um, Nine Finger Chronicles is another, um, you know, podcast I follow, um, Facebook threads. Um, I think my goal is to at least, uh, look at that three, three and a half age class, um, probably at a minimum and, and be a little more selective. I've, I've been out enough. I enjoy just being out there enough, um, that, uh, I can watch the little ones rummage around and, uh, and pass those up all day long to, to let them, let them grow. And, and because I know they're out there, um, it's it's just a matter of, of being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And you can shoot a doe if you want to kill something. Exactly. Cool, man. Well, that sounds, uh, like, uh, the cherry on top of an awesome season and uh did that did that kind of seal the deal as far as you're kind of you're kind of a bow hunter again now i i believe so i can i can safely say that that uh i am a bow hunter yeah there you go man and uh congratulations and good luck this upcoming season man i'm looking forward to seeing what uh what you knock down thanks dan you too All right, guys, that brings us to the end of another episode. Huge shout-out to Eric for uh, sharing his story with us today, man. Really appreciate it. Huge shout-out to all of you for taking time to listen to this uh, badass podcast. Uh, Just being a little cocky, it's kind of badass. (laughs) And uh, huge shout-out to all the partners of this podcast. Vortex, Prime, Lone Wolf, Ripcord, Wasp, and Ozonics. Man, please go out and support the companies that support this podcast and this network and uh follow them on social as well right because they 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 have a lot of awesome stories that they tell through their social accounts as well and uh man that's uh that's how you get educated and that's how you become part of this this you know this big community uh something bigger than an individual and uh that's the goal of not only this podcast but the sportsman's nation as a whole other than that Thank you again. If uh, you know that you know the routine by now, right? If you're gonna be in a tree, wear your damn safety harness. Have a good weekend.